1: Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS in Pasadena for a morning of multilingual readings, interactive performances, and lots of kid fun. It's Super Fun Saturday on June 1st. Get your tickets at LAS.com events.
2: A heads up, before we get started, this episode contains explicit language and includes sensitive content about sex and drugs.
0: By the time I was 16, I knew how to pray. And I mean, pray, pray. I'd been preparing for the rapture since before I knew how to read. I was raised Pentecostal in the South, and it was a huge part of my identity. So many of my childhood pictures are of me with a toothless grin against the brick walls of my Pentecostal church in Houston, Texas. I still have a scar on my left knee from when I tripped and fell during a game of tag in the church parking lot. And I can still taste the empanada de plátano, a Salvadoran sweet dessert dusted with sugar my dad would buy me from the Salón Social, the church cafeteria. Sometimes he'd even let me take a sip from his coffee. When I was in high school, I was baptized and received the Holy Ghost. I went door knocking to spread the word of God. But 10 years ago, when I was in college, I started to question everything.
2: I'm Antonia Cerejido with LA Studios, and this is a special episode of California Love. It's a story that came to us as part of Oye, an audio incubator for Latinx creators with NPR. It's a collaboration with our friends at Codeswitch about finding salvation in unexpected places. And this story comes to us from reporter Jess Alvarenga. Jess is an audio producer and documentary filmmaker, normally focusing on the stories of other people. But for this story, they turned their focus inwards. They would go on a spiritual journey that would include the dining room dungeon of a dom. Buddhist monks taking magic mushrooms, and the pulpit of a Pentecostal church. Hi, Jess. Hi. I can't wait to go to all of these places with you. Yes, I'm excited. So I was not brought up in the church, so I actually don't know a lot about growing up with religion, but I'm curious, like, what was it that you loved about growing up in the church?
0: Yeah, I love so many things. I loved, like, the hymns and the gospel music, all the alabanzas. I also loved to just be part of this really big community. But the thing that I love the most was the certainty of salvation. I had the promise of eternal life in heaven where the streets were paved of gold, where, you know, God would just take care of everything for you.
2: But eventually you decided to leave the church. Like what was lacking? Why why, Why did you give up the streets of gold? Yeah. In this church, There
0: was a lot of machismo and I think baby feminist jest was like not cool with that. I think it was also around the time where I started exploring my queerness Mm -hmm. and that I would just not be accepted in the church. The church was very much like brimstone and fire and always focusing on sin. Mm -hmm. So it just uh, I it, it was a dissonance for me. I didn't feel part of it anymore.
2: What happened after you left? How did the breakup feel?
0: It was really painful. Not only did I lose my faith, I also lost the community that raised me. And it felt like a true breakup. I remember ugly crying with my youth pastor and just being really sad that I couldn't be part of this community anymore.
2: How long ago was that? That was maybe like 10, 15 years ago. Okay, so it's been over a decade since you left. Like, how has your life changed?
0: It's changed so much. She's a gay living in the Bay. I'm living my best life. Let's go. You know, I've fully embraced my queerness. But even though I've really embraced this new life, I feel like I'm missing a spiritual home.
2: But there was something you did recently that made you feel like you might have found one again. Yeah, actually.
0: I had just gotten out of this really long-term relationship when a friend of mine invited me to a sex party. And it was right after lockdown. Um, Everybody was, like, going stir-crazy. So I was like, you know, why not? Let's go. I'm still a church girl on the inside. I'm still very shy about a lot of things, but I'm also a lot more confident in who I am now. And uh, when I was there, I actually participated in like a kinky scene with a dom.
2: Okay, what's a kinky scene?
0: <laughs> Isn't this public radio?
2: I can't be talking about these things. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, it, it, I was in a submissive role, so I was a uh, I was a bottom. And when I finished the scene uh, with the dom, I found myself crying in relief I hadn't felt that way in a really long time and after this experience I was like oh my god this it feels like such a spiritual moment
2: what missing part of your life did you feel like that sex party was was bringing back to you
0: Yeah, for me, it felt very much to when I used to be praying for hours on end. And I thought to myself, if I could find this euphoric release at a sex party, can I find salvation in other places? Can I find something that will make me feel whole again?
2: I'm excited to go there with you, Jess. I'm handing over the mic to Jess, uh, who's gonna take us on this spiritual journey.
0: Yes, thank you. And the first stop is gonna be a famous leather street fair in San Francisco. Let's go. We are walking on Folsom and 7th. We're walking with some leather daddies across the street. I'm wearing a leather harness, assless chaps that I cut out myself from an old pair of jeans, and black and white boots made out of ostrich. I'm not the only one with my cheeks out on display. I'm in a seat of mostly men, from twinks to bears and everyone in between. We've been walking for like five minutes now, and it's like mad packed. So many dicks. I'm walking into the modern day Sodom and Gomorrah, also known as the Folsom Street Fair in San Francisco. Think of it as a pride for the obnoxious and kinky. Instead of glitter, rainbows, and unicorns, there's leather and leashes everywhere. It's like one giant leather park. Okay, harnesses. Leather, leather, leather. Oh, I love this apron. Leather. Jesus, daddy. Is that a dildo? Oh, I love the leash. Oh, my God, I love this underwear or whatever it is. Yes. I feel like I'm overdressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need to take my pants off. <laughs> Folsom is traditionally cis, gay, and male. Where I want to be is the playground. The close off block within Folsom where all the bitches, the fine girls, The strippers and the sluts, the dykes, the femmes, the queerdos, and the genderbenders go. Oh my God, I feel like I'm going to fall in love like 20 times right now. Good God. Yes, yes. I'm here to find out what kink has to do with spiritual belonging and salvation. And like church, I guess. Church as a verb and a noun. Church is in the space where I find release, repair, transcendence, which might be weird to bring up at a leather party. But turns out I'm not the only form of Bible banger out here. I spoke with a few people in the crowd to hear what they had to say.
2: I was raised Catholic, recovering Catholic. (laughs) And what I've loved today is, like, seeing so many people kind of reclaiming that by, like, kinking up their, like, religious costumes or having, like, a nun headdress or a priest outfit. And, and like kind of
3: subverting it a little bit. So this is something I started called Kinky Confessionals. So it's a play off of reconciliation, being raised Catholic, but now I've created a portal online for folks to submit their desires and their kinks and, in a way that's shame-free. The way that I am able to seek you know kink and power play with such depths really comes from being raised. in the 1000%. Church, Understanding like a devotion and faith in this way. And so even though the church was not able to evolve with me and isn't a part of like my current practices, I can be grateful for that
2: aspect. I love I love to be told what to do. I do. And that's I do think like absolutely like a such a connection to like that early kind of like, you know, I gotta I gotta obey this almighty, you know, and I think that it's like it's made me the bottom I am today. <laughs> Thanks, mom and dad.
0: I was excited to find out that there were others just like me. Jesus freaks turned, well, into a different type of freak. They told me what kink does for them. I'm still trying to figure out what exactly it does for me. Yes, it's thrilling to explore something that's so forbidden. But I'm not going to lie, Folsom was overwhelming. I'm still a church girl at the end of the day. I still get queasy at the thought of sex, let alone seeing multiple orgies in broad daylight. If I actually want to enter this world and see what's out there for me, I need someone to hold me by the hand. I don't know, maybe slap it down a couple of times. I need to learn about the world of kink and BDSM from an expert. So I pay a visit to my friendly neighborhood, Dom. Hey, good morning,
1: how you doing? Come on in, welcome. Good, thank you, I'm gonna take my shoes off.
0: Yes, please. Her name's Bennett. She's actually one of the organizers of the playground and she lives not too far from me in East Oakland. She gives me a brief tour of her home and it doesn't take long to find her dungeon right next to the kitchen. When you come to
1: my house, this is what you're gonna see. If you're upset, I will comfort you. I am not going to take it down for nothing and nobody. The cleaning ladies have gotten used to it. And it's very, it's very pretty and tasteful. And I got a chandelier and shit. See, I'm classy. There's a motherfucking chandelier in my dungeon. Who,
0: who, who, who who got that? Could you describe, like, how this would look like if someone's never seen this before? Like, how would you describe it? Okay.
1: Imagine a four-poster bed with no bed, Just the frame, a four poster bed with a square leather hammock suspended by chains. (laughs) And this is, it's a spanking bench. Slings and spanking benches are very ergonomic. For those of us who are getting older, I'm 57, you know, I can stand up and I can see to the person in the sling without, you know, taxing myself.
0: As I'm looking around, something interesting catches my eye. Her altar.
1: So we're looking at the altar to black kink, which is a combination of BDSM toys and um, an altar, really. You know, I added my relatives around the altar so they get to look over my, my kink activities. You know, <laughs> some may have approved, some may not for Day of the Dead, I added um, some little ofrendas and and skulls and things. The candles are just for, you know, ambiance. And then those are Black Panther figurines. Yeah, I think my daughter got those for me.
0: On the altar is also where she keeps her tools.
1: So I have floggers. I have cudgels. I have some little slappers. I have hooks over there for people who I am not going to use hooks on people, but I enjoy needle play. Uh, I have a stapler, a medical stapler. Those are fun. and
0: is that is that a fist? Like yes.
1: yeah, it's a yeah, one of my friends gave me this uh, fist for fisting. Yes: I mean kink for me it's a it's definitely part of a uh It's part of my spiritual path.
0: Spiritual path. Now we're speaking the same language.
1: The physical sensations of play, you get your endorphins. You know, some types of play take me out of my body and like I can commune with God like uh, hook pulls, needles, needle play. That's the hook pulls. Definitely. You just, you know, the hooks go in and then boom, there goes your spirit. And then other types of play bring me very much in my body, but mostly the communing with God. God loves Uh, great sex. God really appreciates pleasure. God loves kink.
0: Bennett grew up with some religion, but not much. Her journey to finding spirituality came from going through a lot of things in life. In
1: 1985, I came to San Francisco, where I lived for 30 years, lived, died, everything, you know. I did everything there. Um, Played in bands got into heroin, crack, alcohol, became homeless, went in and out of jail 12 times in three years. I I felt like I had been Swiss cheese and heroin filled up all the holes so that I became a whole person when when I shot dope, at least for a time before, like, actual addiction set in and homelessness set in and all that. And then once I got clean, you know, all the drugs drain out and you're left with Swiss cheese again. So I filled that with um, 12-step program. But kink was just a whole nother level. And, you know, I'm a I'm a Sagittarius. I'm a dragon. I'm an extrovert. I'm nosy. I'm greedy. I be trying to get into shit. You know, I want to be in, in
0: things. And so, you know, I I love
1: the high, the adrenaline. I want more shit.
0: She was three years sober when her girlfriend at the time introduced her to kink.
1: So my very first scene was we agreed that I would recite the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if I missed a word, like she had the book and she was reading along, and if I missed a word, she would hit me. She would flog me.
0: That was my first scene. King can mean a lot of different things, but what I'm interested in is BDSM. Bennett breaks down her definition for me.
1: BDSM, there's the B and D part, which is for bondage and discipline. There's the DS part, which is for dominance and submission. And then there's the SM for sadism and masochism, BDSM. DS is a little more emotional involved. It's like if you want, you're trying to get somebody, you want someone to kneel, uh, you want to have psychological control over them, you know, maybe you want to like tell them either what a a, a a bad boy they are or a good girl, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's more of an emotional emotional play
0: i'm just like really new to the kink world like in full transparency so i'm also like pain why i don't want to be in pain because i'm a good girl Uh, i'm not a bad girl (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) Uh, but what does pain offer is it pleasure for you is it pleasure for like the person receiving it what is it able to transcend Mm, mm
1: mm-hmm well, you know, as you probably can imagine, there doesn't have to be pain involved in kink. Yes, I, yes, but I just want to, to state that for the our studio audience here. <laughs> there doesn't have to be pain involved in kink. Um, but for those who enjoy that, I mean, the pain is, is spiritual and transcendent. Like, say, for instance, if you're flogging, like, say, you, you want to experience some pain, you know, there's a nice long warm-up. And what I like is rhythmic flogging. You can get into a a bit of a a trance. You get into a rhythm. You get into, you know, this motion, this repetitive motion. Um, You know, it's sort of like, it's like chanting, but with an object. So the person receiving it can also get into a meditative state. That's the word I'm looking for. It's very meditative. If there are no sudden moves, you can get into like a deep meditative trance. And those states of mind enhance spirituality and enhance your connection with god with your higher power with the universe with whatever whatever you want to call this energy that that surrounds us
0: that sounds a lot like prayer when i was in high school every sunday i would show up at iglesia pentecostal a little before 6 a.m to pray just in time to have at least four hours of solitary prayer before the Sunday morning service. I would make my way to the pulpit, el altar. It was simple, no iconography, no extravagant features, yet the altar is the most sacred place in the church. There, you're at the feet of Jesus. I would drink and eat nothing, not even water, just fast and pray on my knees for hours. I was only a vessel for God, and the less I fell into the trap of human desires, the closer I was to him. I would pray to God to wash away my sins, but also to please help my junior varsity soccer team win a game. By the second hour of prayer, my feet would tingle underneath me, but I refused to get up for I was a sinner and didn't deserve my father's love. My knees were swollen and stamped with the pattern of the carpet my stomach would growl and distract me from my prayer. To force myself to forget my hunger, I recited James 4, 7 over and over and over again. Someteos pues a Dios, resistida de al diablo, y huirá de vosotros. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil is a liar. I knew that the only way I could take up the full armor of God and not fall easily into temptation was through devotion and prayer. By the fourth hour, the lights of the church came on. I was so deep in prayer that I wouldn't even hear the hundreds of creyentes filing in. By then, I couldn't feel my legs anymore, and someone would need to help me stand up. Good. Jesus suffered more than this. He loved me more than I could ever love him back. My devotion in church, that fasting and praying on your knees for hours on end, might sound a little intense to your average Catholic on Easter Sunday type of Christian. But I wasn't forced to do this. I wanted to worship this way. And I did it all the time. It made me feel so full, so safe. So this got me thinking... Why did putting myself through something so painful, so hard, feel so right, so good, so essential, addictive, even? Bennett tells me it has to do with control. The pain, you know, like, like,
1: you know, growing up, we didn't have control over a lot of shit. As a kid, you don't have, especially if you're from a family that that likes to spank, you didn't have control over that. It's not like you can say, you know, today I don't feel like being spanked. You just received it. But in kink, especially as the person receiving, you have full control over that. You can stop the scene whenever you want. You can slow it down. And I think receiving consensual pain that you've agreed to and processing it through your body helps kind of heal. It heals some little little traumas, not the big ones maybe, but it could, but it heals little bits of trauma and it enlivens and invigorates your cells in your body. It produces tons of endorphins. Getting endorphins from pain, it's a very interesting mix because something that's supposedly negative all the time. Being hit, ooh, that sounds negative. But you're like, yeah, okay, please hit me in the way that I want to be hit.
0: I realized after talking to Bennett that the thing connecting both prayer and being a sub is not so much the physical discomfort, but the feeling of control, the feeling of consent. When I prayed, I was able to let go of control in my own terms. You know, let go, let God. When I bottomed, I let go, let Dom. Kink and prayer are both experiments in powerlessness and power. You opt in, you set parameters, but you still surrender yourself to whatever unpleasant or painful experience that might come. But in the end, you feel a relief, release, calmness. Kink gives me something, that's for sure. It's something I can turn to if I'm feeling overwhelmed. But I want more. There's still a feeling of transcendence, of becoming one with God that I'm not getting. There was another part of my old spiritual life that I missed just as much as prayer, a part that kink couldn't really touch. It was a more mystical part, almost magical feeling that I thought I could maybe find through another popular indulgence in queer Oakland.
4: Look, psychedelic medicine brings about profound existential and spiritual experiences for people.
0: That's after the break. In the Pentecostal Church, receiving the Holy Ghost is a direct experience with God. It's beautiful and kind of magical. A full-body experience. The first time I received the Holy Ghost was during the summer of my senior year of high school. It was raining that day. My hair was damp and frizzy as I slid into the last row of the converted auditorium. La venida de Dios viene pronto. Will you be ready when he calls your name? bellowed your youth pastor on stage. A group of teenagers in the front two rows jumped up and began to cheer. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Entrega tu vida a Dios. The pastor pleaded with us, practically sobbing. You'll never feel lonely again, he cried. La hermana Marta, a mentor for the youth group, approached me and laid her hand on my forehead as she began to speak in tongues. You are covered by the blood of Jesus, she told me in between her prayers. Two more women approached me and began to pray for me as well. One of them lifted both of my arms up. She kept her hands underneath my elbows to support my arms from falling. My limbs began to feel heavy. My right arm began to shake involuntarily. I was no longer in control. My body swayed back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I felt as I'd been plunged into a waterfall and couldn't get back up. I came back gasping for air and out came the Holy Ghost. Piercing white light. I started to speak in tongues. Acceptance. A blast of euphoria. An eternity went by. I was on my knees, weeping. La Hermana Marta was still holding me by my shoulders. Welcome home, sister, she whispered to me. Since leaving the church, I've never been able to find an experience that's quite like receiving the Holy Ghost. To this day, It's the most beautiful experience I've had in my life. This was the feeling I was looking for that I couldn't get with kink. And I want to feel it again. Some of my friends keep telling me that I can, whenever I want to. Apparently, all I have to do is eat some magic mushrooms. Whenever they talk about being on Psychedelics, Honestly, it sounds pretty close to the Holy Ghost. The full-body mystical experience where the you, as you know it, dissolves into a greater existence. And as some of my friends have told me, where you talk to God. But I find it hard to believe that these people taking mushrooms on the weekend have the same experience as I did, and parts of me don't want it to be true. It sounds too easy but if they're right, I have to know. So I decided to sit down with someone who studies how psychedelic mushrooms create mystical and spiritual experiences.
4: Everybody's spiritual journey is different, so it's not the same mechanism for everybody, but there were commonalities of profound feelings of love, of interconnectedness, of reconnection with the self and the body and our history and our identities, and an urge to connect with others.
0: This is Dr. Alex Belzer. He's a psychologist and psychedelic researcher who has done research at Yale and NYU. I found out about him through a book he co-edited. It's an anthology called Queer and Psychedelics, From Oppression to Liberation in Psychedelic Medicine. Every time I'm at a coffee shop reading it, I have like three people ask me, what is that? So good stuff.
4: (laughs) That's funny. I like
0: that. Yeah. 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 So thank you so much for helping me sure. with my dating Absolutely. life. Absolutely. <laughs> As I was looking into his background, I learned that his research looked into the exact question I had. How can mushrooms enhance people's spiritual well-being? Alex worked on a double blind trial at NYU with participants that had cancer and an anxiety-related diagnosis. They each receive a dose of psilocybin the chemical in magic mushrooms. And the majority of people
4: had a clinically meaningful reduction in their depression scores.
0: They had a better sense of faith and spiritual well-being. Overall, they reported a greater quality of life, a feeling that lasted for months.
4: So it wasn't just a one-day event, but part of a broader inflection point for many people who had been really terribly suffering with not only cancer and chemo and surgery, but also all the mental health problems of anxiety and tension and stress and depression that go along with it. You know, in these trials, we had something like 60% of people say this is among the top five most spiritual experiences of our entire
0: lives. So what exactly is a quote, spiritual experience or what Alex referred to in his trials as a mystical experience.
4: If their experience transcended their normal experience of time and space, That suggests that they were in touch with a mystical experience. And this could be like profound embodied experiences. We have visions inside the body or shaking in the body. And we have like profound releases in the body. So some of these patients report like ejecting black clouds of fear and hate from their body uh, and then feeling like like a new person afterward.
0: He says it's still a pretty squishy thing to define. Just to be clear... There's a lot we still don't know about psychedelics, and the effects are still being researched. But what Alex and other scientists found was that people who had a more intense spiritual experience had a better outcome.
4: We see consistently is that if people have a high score on the mystical experience questionnaire, they statistically significantly have reduced scores for depression, for anxiety.
0: That really caught my attention that the most intense, euphoric, out-of-body experiences were also the most healing. I wonder, are these psychedelic experiences equally as meaningful as religious spiritual experiences? Do they feel the same in every way? Alex and his fellow scientists had the same question, and so they did a new study that was completely focused on religious leaders. For
4: me, I think it's more about the sort of like seeing people who have spent their whole life wrestling with the problem of God, working with like an Orthodox minister working with a rabbi and working with a a imam. These are like radically different ways of making sense of a confusing world and human predicament.
0: After they all tripped, Alex interviewed them.
4: Many of them described a feeling of an, uh, what we think of as an intimacy with God. It was as close uh, as like the blood in their veins, like that the sense of God was like, that that God was right there with them, like so intimate, so close that there was, there was no separation between them and spirit.
0: They also asked the religious leaders directly.
4: Our psychedelic Experiences real? Are they spiritually real or are they just the drugs talking? And so we'd have reflections from these religious professionals about whether they felt their experience was like just a drug induced hallucination or if it was something uh, connected to spirit as they understood it. Like, for example, a Zen Buddhist said the intensity is different. During psilocybin, there's just the sweetness of being, sweet, tender quality of being and seeing the world. A lot of people said something to this effect. That the psilocybin experience for them was was the real was the real deal,
0: so the religious leaders in the trial could experience transcendence, a feeling of closeness to God that they would normally only get in their usual practice, just by taking mushrooms. Some even said it renewed their relationship to their faith, but instead of comforting me, The idea of mushrooms being a real path to God actually scares me even more. What if I do enter the spiritual realm? What if I get the Holy Ghost again? What if I meet God? It's just too much. And a trip lasts for eight hours? (laughs) No. This feels too far out of my control. Not like kink where I can stop the scene whenever I want. I feel like I don't have a way forward, like maybe this hole that losing my faith left in me, maybe I'll never be able to fill it. Kink alone isn't feeling this void, and mushrooms I'm just not ready for. At this point, I'm desperate to talk to someone who actually knows where I'm at, and I think that may mean going back to church. One Sunday, a few years ago when I was living in Berkeley, my ex-partner asked me if I would go to church with them. They were having a tough time at work, so they really wanted to go pray at a church they'd been to before. It was close to my house, about five minutes away on University Avenue. But Berkeley or not, it's really scary to go into a church as a visibly queer person. We sat huddled closely together with my arm around their shoulder. I wore bright red lipstick, which left a bright red mark on their cheek from me kissing on them. The music was a beat. The prayer warriors were encouraging. Everything felt fine. That is until the pastor began his sermon. He began to talk about his experience growing up in the church, how women had to wear long skirts, men couldn't have beards and how only men were allowed to preach. Oh, shit. My internal alarm system went off. Girl, was I sitting in a Pentecostal church? I would have least worn a skirt if I would have known. The pastor continued preaching on how times have changed. The gaze, he stumbled and looked dead at us. My ex-partner and I tensed up Without saying a word to each other, we immediately prepared to leave, making note of all the exits in the church. We have to, you know, be accepting of the gays. Omg, a Pentecostal pastor trying to be queer-friendly? What kind of Berkeley shit is this? When the morning service was over, the pastor stood outside of the church doors, shaking people's hands as they walked out. As we walked out of the church, he came over to us, gently shook my hand and said, I'm really, really happy you're here. I remember crying in the church parking lot after that. I never thought I'd live to see the day where a Pentecostal pastor made such an effort to see me. So first of all, I'm a little nervous being here. There was so much inside of me that I'm like, mm. I'm wearing a skirt, I'm wearing makeup, I should take my nose ring off. Mm. Um, I was just, that that was like all running through my mind. Just like really- Coming here today? Coming here
3: today, yeah. Mm. Well, don't be nervous. Um, there's no need for you to be nervous here. This is Pastor Mike. Mike McBride, pastor of The Way Church. Peacemaker in the community work to end gun violence, try to save souls, bodies, hearts, minds, freedom fighting, Jesus following, demon slaying. Uh
0: (laughs) I wanted to sit down with him to talk about my experience with the church and to really find out if I can have both. An acceptance of who I am now and the feeling of certainty and salvation I had when I belonged to the church. I figured if anyone would have an answer to my problem,
3: it would be him.
0: Growing up Pentecostal in the 90s and 2000s was no
3: joke in the South. And imagine, you know, we grew up in it during the 70s and the 80s, Mm. and it it was no joke back then.
0: Our churches had similar ideas like an emphasis on conservative dress, strict interpretation of scripture, and a focus on preparing for the rapture. Right away, I get a little more comfortable because Pastor Mike gets it. It's like talking to my old youth pastor, but a little more open-minded.
3: And so, you know, when you grow up in that space and you're always taught that you all are the only ones who are, like, saved, even, like other Christians are not guaranteed to make it into heaven because they're not baptized in Jesus' name. Or if you're constantly told that any sin you do that's left unrepentant, you know, and then you get hit by a car or you die in your sleep or the rapture's gonna happen and you just like miss out. Like so you just have you have lots of dissonance around man, you know, I wanna be right, but this feels impossible.
0: That's exactly how it felt like for me. It was always brimstone and fire, and our God is a vengeful God. We move from a place of fear. And then he tells me he sees Pentecostalism as something that needs to constantly evolve.
3: As all things, they require, you know, updates. Just like your iPhone needs a a systems update, you know, so does the practice of our faith.
0: I never heard a pastor be willing to admit that the Pentecostal church doesn't get everything right or can feel challenging for them. It made me think about my experience when I was questioning the church. I wanted to be a pastor so much, Mm. so much. And I knew that God could see me for who I was and like, just who, and, and my heart and my devoutness and my passion. But it was the church that always was like, "Your skirt is too short. Mm-hmm. You can't um, go to the altar with uh, short sleeves. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't be plucking your eyebrows because that means you're vain. You can't um, you know, just be doing all these things. And you know, because of that, I just found myself getting smaller and smaller. and it's like my family, and it's like the people that I grew up in. I was born in that church. Mm-hmm. I was baptized when I was sixteen. Mm-hmm. I was like I know more about the church than I do about the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm still figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no,
3: that's dope. I, I think um I think I can resonate with lots of the dissonance and angst that most young people feel knowing there's something real there, but it's it's also rife with lots of um, things that aren't as life giving and liberatory as we're often preached. It is. Mm-hmm. There's lots of trauma for Pentecostal kids, particularly folks who are queer or women, folks who um, find their faith in other places and spaces. Because you always have that voice in the back of your head that's like condemning you and telling you you're not worthy. But you know, turn up the other voice that is the same spirit that's telling you that you are and and bathed in that, you know, as best as you can. Yeah.
0: Well, I didn't think I was going to start crying this soon. You <laughs> already is speaking to my heart, speaking to my soul. <laughs> Maybe I would have stayed in the church if I had someone I could talk to about
3: this. It is for many much more fearful to lose your footing than it is to question the foundation on which you stand. And so I think a lot of people would rather just not ask the questions because they don't want to lose their footing. It's very hard to like be like a holy spente and then I'm just gonna become what we would call like Baptist, where they don't have no what we would say standards, right? They smoke, drink everything and still go to heaven. That was a joke, right? Baptists and their loose ways. Most people won't become Baptists. They'll just be like, okay, I'm just not gonna... I'm just leaving the church altogether. When I left the church, I
0: left everything behind. Not just the painful memories, but also the things I loved. Pastor Mike says when you're questioning your faith, it's kind of like pulling out a piece of loose yarn from a sweater.
3: When you're trained in a fundamentalist space, the framework for how you make, how you logically make things have meaning is so tightly bound together that when you start to pull at one thread of it, the whole thing comes apart.
0: So I didn't even know I was a fundamentalist. Hmm. I did not.
3: I didn't know either, but you know, it explains a lot. It you know and it's not in a like disparaging way but I can I can see why oh, as as uh, they said in Star Wars I sense much struggle in you <laughs> I can see why
0: <laughs> when Pastor Mike told me I was actually raised fundamentalist I realized that I've been looking for healing in a fundamentalist way. I've been looking for something to save me, for something to fix me, for something to help me transcend who I am, become someone else. I've been looking to be born again. And that was the problem. I thought that if I replaced church with kink or with mushrooms, I'd finally feel whole again. But that's not quite it. There's not one magic bullet that's gonna do it all. And to believe that is to perpetuate the fundamentalism that made me escape the church in the first place. Maybe it's learning to hold all of these things within me at the same time. The church girl, the kinky bottom, and maybe someday a mushroom fan. I'm still learning what it means to be spiritual outside of religion. I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm learning more about myself and what makes me feel whole. Every night, I still go to my altar, but it looks a little different now. I've got my Bible on my altar next to my crystals and tequila for my grandma and a necklace that represents Yemanja that I got in Brazil. My prayers sound a little different too. I sit on a pillow, legs folded and spine straight. I turn off all my lights in my apartment. I breathe. My spiritual home isn't a place. It's a feeling, a state of being, an acceptance of my whole self. And I'll always be in pursuit of it. This special bonus episode was hosted and reported by me, Jess Alvarenka, in collaboration with LAS Studios. You can follow CodeSwitch on Instagram at nprcodeswitch. If email is more your thing, send a message to codeswitch at npr.org. And subscribe to the podcast on the NPR app or wherever you get your podcasts. And check out las.com for more shows from their team. This episode was produced by Skylar Swenson and Max Friedman. Our engineer was Gilly Moon. It was edited by Sofia Pelisa Carr, Casey Donahue, and Lauren Gonzalez. Original music by Emily Areta, AKA DJ Emily, and Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Yolanda Singuini, Marilyn Williams, Dahlia Mortada, and B.A. Parker, and Antonia Cerejido. Catherine Mailhouse and Shayna Crockmaw from LAS Studios. Thanks for listening.